0: What sort of game would it be if you didn't have a chance
1: the kids game we shall play an adult version you mean for real for fun
0: for real fun <laughs>
1: Hello, my name's Spencer, a.k.a. Free Thrall. Welcome to Keep Off the Borderlands, a podcast about RPGs and stuff. I don't say that enough. In this episode, I'm going to be mainly reflecting on OSR October and what came out of that, also responding to a few calls in response to my own contributions to last month and reflecting on a few other things I've been up to since the last episode. For example, I had the pleasure of being invited back onto Cerebraville. This time with Hannah and John allen Large of Red Dice Diaries RPG podcast and James Knight, who you may have heard calling into Nerds RPG Variety Cast, and obviously its host, Jason Connolly, of course, the person who makes CerebraVore possible. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar with CerebraVore, it is uh, essentially a round table. Featuring various luminaries from other anchor podcasts and uh, YouTubers and um, bloggers and, um, well, in fact, anybody who's got interesting stuff to say about the chosen topic of that episode. In this particular episode, we were discussing Video Nasties, the UK's answer to the Satanic Panic along with uh, folk horror and British and Irish horror films in general. There was one film that I forgot to mention. Now, I had a whole list of films that I put together. Uh, I I made the mistake of creating a list that was too long when it came to Jason asking me to recommend some titles. They, They completely went out of my head. I looked at my list... And because it was such a huge list, I struggled to find what I was looking for on it, if you know what I mean. Anyway, there was a film that I meant to mention, and that was Possum from 2018, a psychological horror starring Sean Harris as a disgraced children's entertainer haunted by his own tragic childhood. It was written and directed by Matt Holness, probably better known in the UK, as the self-aggrandizing horror writer Garth Marenghi, star of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, a comedy spoof of a previously unaired '80s action horror TV series, I hope that makes sense. The reason I wanted to mention Possum in particular is that it's heavily influenced by those old 70s British public information films, potentially traumatising stuff, particularly the one known as the Spirit of Lonely Water. Possum also had a score by the Radiophonic Workshop, the people responsible for the old Doctor Who music, amongst other things. And uh, these... Two elements, the public information films and the BBC radiophonic workshop are things that um, James is very knowledgeable about. He knows his stuff and it turns out he's really into the audio side of things. Yeah, it would be nice to pick his brains a bit more about that. So, yeah, it was really great to be involved in that. And thank you, Jason, for inviting me back. I really enjoyed OSR October. Some really interesting stuff came out of that. Plenty of very interesting material from talented creators being discussed. Almost everyone involved took a stab at sharing their definition of the term, and that was really interesting to listen to. Obviously, we're never going to end up with a clear definition that we're all going to agree on, which, I mean, which shouldn't be a surprise. That's not, you know, that's not how things work, is it? Um, I mean, how many concepts aren't endlessly debatable? Um, That's not to say there's nothing to be gained from debating such topics. But obviously, with no dominant definition, the meaning of OSR is entirely dependent on who's using it, and how it's being used. You're going to run into exactly the same issues when you're defining what D&D is, or what an RPG is, or what a game is even, and what constitutes play. As for takes, I particularly enjoyed Goblin's henchman statement that the OSR is a self fulfilling prophecy your opinion of it being largely founded on your initial impressions of it and those early interactions concluding that for him that the OSR is a movement based on free thinking and not simple acceptance of what you are told the hobby is which that's really nice I also really enjoyed Daniel's explanation too? That's Daniel Norton of Bandit's Keep. Primarily because what he described was a process he went through. That process of rediscovery which led him to the conclusion that reuniting od with Chainmail would result in the kind of game that would offer the play experience that he was looking for. A play experience that he very much enjoyed. What I like about that is that I recognise that process. It echoes my own fascination with the OSR. But what I also found interesting is that it led me to slightly different games, slightly different conclusion, lighter games by creators who'd been through a similar process themselves. That's not saying I wouldn't want to try that Chainmail d d combo, see how that works but I'm a fan of this kind of Jenga approach to rules you know how much of a game can you remove and it still stands up what's fundamental to creating a particular experience what's necessary and sufficient what needs to be there to facilitate the kind of play that I'm interested in basically yeah, so, yeah, as I say, really enjoyed OSR October. Great contributions from everyone. I did I did list off the contributors a couple of episodes ago. And one of the names that I failed to mention called in on the next episode. And that person has contacted me again. GM Extraordinaire from the GMologist Presents, Mr. Carl Rodriguez. Take it away, Carl.
2: Hey, Spencer. You made a comment that you felt Han World was too serious. And you would like more quirky. Well, maybe this might be quirky enough for you. So there is a place called Arakalai, which is dedicated to the god Ivashu, And there you can find the cloaca of Ivashu, from which monsters are generated. Ivashu is like the patron, one of the patron gods of monsters, and uh, yeah, it's a holy site. And I actually had an adventure. One of the players was a devotee of Ivashu, wasn't like a priest; was like a soldier in a, like a the Thardic army. Tharda is like a, uh, imagine, imagine like a Roman Republic, right? So Tharda has like legions, and anyway, so uh, but medieval like Roman Republic, which is weird, maybe anachronistic. Anyway, they have like a senate and all that. So, so uh, yeah, he led a, he helped uh, guide a pilgrimage or was part of the guard of a pilgrimage up to the cloaca of Ivashnu. And uh, he participated in a ritual where he could, I think he made it to the second circle um, of a, to be like kind of a indoctrinated into the cult of the god. So uh, I guess eventually he was going to go visit the cloaca. I think that was his goal. you we were playing with the steel. That might've been one of his goals. Anyway, if that's not quirky enough for you, I'm, I can find other weird quirkies in harm um, arm for you.
1: Hey, Carl. Thank you for that. Perhaps serious wasn't the right word to use. I have heard it described as a realistic setting, although I don't know how realistic worshipping an avian orifice is. But infiltrating its second circle certainly strikes me as pretty medieval. But thank you very much for putting me straight there. Cheers.
0: Hi, Spencer. It's Saffino of Alone in the Labyrinth. Um, I Just letting you know I'm still listening. Um, and just in response to your last couple of podcasts about definitions of the OSR, I was thinking about your episode prior to the most recent one, which at the time I sent this was your How OSR is Electric Bastion Land Into the Odd, um, and I was thinking about the episode prior to that while I was listening to it, <laughs> and also while I replied to someone on Reddit who was talking about playstyles. so... Um, I a poster or a commenter on Reddit defined OSR as this: OSR play is not primarily defined by the arbitrary formal mechanical procedures that adjudicate the fiction, but by the procedures that govern the players' interactions with it. And I responded that this was an absolute god tier quote: OSR is a culture of play or a social procedure rather than a set of rules. I think the reason rules like systems began to emerge from the OSR scene is because it's easier to shift players uh, into that culture. If you take away the levers, they might be accustomed to pulling in contemporary games, i.e. emphasising that system mastery isn't going to give you any special edge because problems are most likely to be overcome by common sense uh, rather than the contents of one's character sheet. But again, it's about play culture. There are tons of two dice, lasers and feelings hacks, i.e. rules and light, none of which encourage our, our style of play and um, and while I've played first edition games using, utilizing tons of the mechanics outlined in the first edition DMG, those were very much old school games, even though they were very crunchy to use more contemporary parlance. Uh, to further hammer horror home the point, the original Ravenloft modules, probably the first codifying of the plot driven railroad gaming style, that was so prevalent in 5e was published in the 1E era. So I'm making kind of three points at the same time in that paragraph, which is like rules light, rules heavy is an important, um, well, it is, but system doesn't entirely matter. Play play culture is more important. Um, I, you can use an old school set of rules um, and not play OSR. Or you can use a new school set of rules and be playing OSR. And the reverse is true too. Hope you're all right. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.
1: That was Safinio of Alone in the Labyrinth, creator of Pariah, the psychedelic, neolithic, animist, old-school RPG zine, to give it its full title. And, wow, thank you for that message, Safinio. A lot to unpack there. Safinio is referring... To episode 208, New Spells for Old Magic, my first episode for OSR October. And that's a great quote the OSR as a social procedure. I have been thinking about procedures of play recently, and this is exactly what drew me to the OSR because of that emphasis on exploring a world and interacting with it solely from the character's perspective and the removal of system mastery from that equation definitely helps facilitate that I think that's how I see it anyway that removal of levers and reliance on common sense is a great way to frame that emphasis on player skill over character skill. The implication also being that rules like games might aid this but are not essential to the OSR which is why crunchy systems you know those with a variety of subsystems and what not may still come under that umbrella. Finally that point of being able to play games thought of as OSR in a non-OSR style, I can imagine that that may present challenges where such rules might not be sufficient. As you say, the opposite is possible, but I certainly think think there are rules that are almost opposed to that kind of play. They rely on more non-diegetic or meta- interaction you know with the with the mechanics with the game I'm thinking of games like Fate for example which I have to admit I haven't played so I may be way off base there but uh, I, if you're listening John I've read Dice Diaries you could possibly put me straight there I may be talking nonsense but um, but um, that led me to another thought it took me back to an experience I had playing Wonder Home, where I think there was a a mismatch of expectations there. I don't believe any of us that were playing had much experience of story games i mean, It seemed to me that the most interesting elements of that game were kind of oh not of that game, but I mean of the the kind of game that I enjoy were sort of positioned outside of play. Those things that I seek to discover through play at the table all seemed to be decided during character creation, before we'd even begun to interact with the environment. To me, all the fun was in setting up the game. And once it got underway we were all like what are we gonna do now? 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 Yeah, sorry about that. Having a little fun with myself there, aping an old Spike Milligan sketch. Anyway, I I felt that, you know, in order to find ourselves in interesting situations, seemed at odds with how the game wanted us to play it, if that makes any sense. Basically, it was asking me to do things during character creation that I enjoyed doing through play. And uh, obviously, for me, this was removing a degree of motivation to actually play the game. I want to stress that this is all about mismatched expectations and not a criticism of the game itself. And uh, yeah, I certainly think I may have strayed from the point somewhat there. But thank you very much for that call, Safinioh. Very, very insightful stuff. I think it might be helpful to point out that this style of play, these principles and procedures, are not exclusive to the OSR. It's that the OSR seeks to emphasise these particular elements. I think that can prove confusing for some. And I'm thinking of Joe Richter here in particular, who kind of in a lot of ways, plays in this style anyway. And much of that stuff seems like common sense to him. And I guess it can be a little perplexing when you see a corner of the hobby that that you might have mixed feelings about, shall we say, and seeing these folks kind of planting their flag in what you consider to be just general ideas of play. That's how I imagine it could be perceived from the outside, anyway. But again, I digress. I say I digress. I'm not sure what point I'm attempting to return to, if I <laughs> had a point at all. There was an interesting discussion on Twitter with uh, Safer Fantasy Crafting, Minion, also known as Rob, from. Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushy and Barney Dicker of Loco Ludus that got me thinking about procedures of play, which led me to reading a blog post from uh, Prismatic Wasteland entitled The Basic Procedures of OSR, where they talk about inviting contributions from players regarding certain details. Of the setting. Actually. Yeah. I just wanted to read the steps of that proposed procedure. As it appears in the blog. I've been using this same team brewed approach for many years. But my games are still very much in the broader OSR tradition. So what I describe as the basic procedure. Only partially describes the basic procedure used in my games. To this end. I would offer a slightly supplemented version of the basic procedure for your consideration. It does not fully break into the type of loosey-goosey conversation described in Apocalypse World, but it does take from Apocalypse World the two-way flow of questions and answers. So, step one, the referee describes the situation, what the player characters see, hear, smell, taste or feel. Step 2a. The players ask clarifying questions about the situation if they so desire. Step 2b. The referee may also ask clarifying questions about the players if they so desire. Step 3a. The referee answers any such questions that are immediately observable by the player characters. If ascertaining the answer would require player character action, the referee informs the players what they must do to obtain the answer and resolves such actions if the players wish to do so. Upon the resolution of such actions, the referee answers the question and gives any other Pertinent information. Step 3b. The player answers the questions ideally from the perspective of the character and without contradicting anything previously established at the table. The referee may ask follow-up questions if they desire. The referee and other players are to consider the player's answer as canon and treat it, brackets, and any implications of the answer Close brackets as true, building on that truth when applicable. Step four based on the information at hand, the players state what actions their player characters take. The referee may ask the players about how they perform such actions to assist the referee in their rulings. Step five the referee and players resolve all such actions if the situation changes. Brackets, which it almost certainly will, close brackets, repeat these steps. Kind of sounds like common sense. It's possibly slightly over-elaborate way of describing what happens at the table when you're playing. But it certainly seems accurate. And um, I'm, I'm struggling now to bring this round to... Summarize a point I'm making, but I'm not sure I'm making a point at all, so I'm just going to leave it there. So, in the absence of a call from Jason Connolly in this episode, I figured. We could make up for that absence with another semi-regular feature. I thought I'd do a little unboxing. I believe I know what this is. And it's not RPG related. But it is a game. I won't say too much because I want to make sure it is what I think it is. This is a board game. I've heard good things about it. It's quite a simple game as far as I understand it. Um, but this is it's something that I've always thought seemed a little overpriced for what it appeared to be. And I, I, most of the time I've seen it around the £37 mark. That's before delivery costs. However, I spotted on Rare Wave Games... They were doing it for £30 with free delivery. And, well, you know me, I can't resist a bargain. And the game is horrified. The stakes have been raised. Now, what interested me about this initially is it can be played solo. I'm not going to unseal the box at this stage, but I'll just have a look at the back. 1 to 5 players, age 10 and up, 60 minutes, a city screams in terror, a cooperative game against the world's most famous monsters. The village is under attack, Dracula, the mummy, Frankenstein's monster, his bride and more are on the rampage and your team of heroes must defeat them. Each monster offers an entirely unique challenge and players can adjust the difficulty by playing it against a new group of adversaries every game. Overcome them all before the horror overwhelms you. Starring 7 monstrous miniatures Contents 1 game board 6 monster mats 7 monster figures Seven hero badges, seven hero movers, ten villager movers, twenty bases, sixty item tokens, twenty monster tokens, one terror marker, one frenzy marker, thirty monster cards, twenty peril cards, five reference cards, one item bag, three dice, and instructions. Um, yeah very nice looking box it is too just want to add that anything that i've mentioned here that i can link to will be in the show notes and i'll also add a link to that list of movies i referred to that i compiled British and Irish horror movies, which I put together on my um, Letterboxd account, I'll include a link to that. And that particular cerebral episode will be airing this Friday, I believe. So keep an eye out for that. I wanted to mention as well that the good friends of Jackson Elias put out an episode this week entitled "Is Horror Dangerous?", where they touch on the subject of video nasties. Well worth a listen. There'll be a link to that too. This is probably a good point at uh, which to thank Rob C of the Down in a Heap podcast for coming up with the whole idea of OSR October in the first place, inspiring us all and giving us so many great episodes of his own throughout the month. Hats off to you, Rob. Well, that's about enough from me. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your messages. I really do appreciate those. If you'd like to leave me a message, you can use the messaging function on the Anchor webpage. There'll be a link to that in the show notes, along with a link to SpeakPipe, which may be more helpful for you. You can always message me via my email address at spencer.com. Dot free thrall at gmail.com be that text or audio you can find me on twitter at free thrall. there's also a keep off the borderlands facebook page and I can be found on discord in the audio dungeon and on a few other channels and if you can figure out how to find me you know more about how it works than I do alternatively you can find links to all those things over on my card page at free thrall oneword.card with two r's, dot co. I'd also like to thank TJ Drennan for all his wonderful music and it just remains for me to say, take it away, TJ.